One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding a website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen .ca as the trusted online home for their business. Visit cira.ca forward slash startup today. And by DigitalOcean, simplifying web infrastructure by building a product that developers love. Visit DigitalOcean.com to find out more about why developers start and scale their startups on DigitalOcean. Use promo code StartupCA for a $10 credit to get started. Storytelling, the journey of real change makers and discovering their impact on the world we live in. And now, broadcasting from Fredericton, New Brunswick, on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, Rivers Corbett. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Startup Canada Podcast Show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, a speaker, and uh, I like to say sometimes a startup expert. Uh, but one of my proudest accomplishments is uh, actually being a startup community leader in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And um, they actually uh, was a founding board member of Startup Canada. So uh, a lot of experience to tie into this podcast. And so welcome to the show. This podcast podcast series is proudly created by Startup Canada, which is a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together and celebrate and give a voice to Canada's entrepreneurial community. With this show, we aim to do just that. And today we're chatting with the movers and shakers of Canada's entrepreneurship community. All right. And exploring themes in entrepreneurship as we go along. As part of our Startup Entrepreneur Series, today in the spotlight, we have Gary Ziegler. Gary's the CEO of Ethor, and I want to talk about that name. It's a platform that bridges the gap between merchants and mobile customers. He's joining us today from Calgary, Alberta. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, our pleasure. So I like to kind of see how my guests are uh, are, uh, are thinking right from the beginning. I like to zag when everybody else is zigging. So I want to put you in a little bit of a challenging question, and you're going to be able to answer it anyway. Given the speed that technology is happening these days, and given that your business has a connection to point-of-sale systems, where do you see point-of-sale systems in the future? Are they really going to be around? And if they are, What's your kind of thoughts as to what they're going to look like? I think clearly they're going to be around. I mean, the, the point of sale system is the heart and soul of any local business. It's it's how they keep their inventory. It's where they keep all their product information, pricing. I think it's pretty critical to any local business to have a point of sale system. Um, over the last few years, you've seen a lot of uh, new types of POS systems coming out, starting with Square and a lot of other mobile point, point of sale systems. Uh, some people call it MPOS. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, new emerging ones. There's one actually, a big Canadian one called Lightspeed out of Montreal. There's one in LA called Vend. Um, a whole bunch of Groupon has one called Breadcrumb and on and on and on. There's a lot of cool. those systems out there. So I think 
those uh, systems that you've seen emerge uh, from what I've seen have done an incredible job of tapping into what was previously sort of an untapped market, which is that they're selling those systems to a lot of mom and pops that previously didn't have POS systems mm-hmm. um, because they're a lot cheaper than the traditional legacy point of sale systems. I've yeah. also seen um, some of the major players go into large retailers thinking that those large retailers would swap out their legacy point of sale system for their shiny new MPOS system. And they were sorely mistaken. I think over time, as those MPOS systems mature, um, you'll start to slowly see some of those uh, legacy point of sale systems get swapped out. In the meantime, those MPOS systems will gain a lot of market share in the previously untapped market of people that didn't have them. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, scenario you you you, uh, you pose for us. Uh, I'm uh, the co-founder of a of a soon-to-be national gourmet restaurant chain. We'll have positions out west and in the east, and the ones in the east have a traditional system, and the ones out west we're looking at using square width. And so that exact scenario has happened. You know, we invested ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars in a point of sale system. We're not easily going to get just just say that's it. I'm don't want to use it anymore for switching it out for a thousand dollar square system. So, right. so yeah, I, I think it's an evolution, not a, not a revolution that's going to happen. So tell us about uh, Ethor. Uh, you know, it's the proverbial elevator journey we're on. What is it in a nutshell? Ethor is a point of sale integration platform. So we're essentially a communication bridge between those local point of sale systems that you find in a brick and mortar store and new emerging technologies like mobile phones and things like that. So for us, other developers who are building mobile wallets or analytics platforms or uh, discount systems and things like that, if they want to hook their mobile apps into a physical bricks and mortar store, they need to integrate with the point of sale system. Um, So we're essentially a middleware or or a transaction layer between mobile commerce and the physical store. Yeah, very cool. And of course, mobile conferences, um, uh, commerce is a growing phenom. So uh, if you're, if you're not in that, you're definitely being left behind. So I guess the side question, is that how you describe it to your grandmother when she asked you? Uh, when my grandmother asked me, I often say we're in mobile payments, so you can pay, so you can pay with your phone. Okay, so Ethor, the name. Uh, I'm a huge branding guy, and uh, I'm really curious where did it come from, and uh, what's the name mean to you? Ethor was named after Thor, the god of thunder and lightning, which obviously thunder and lightning equates to electricity and the E on the front of it means electronic or or what have you, just like e-commerce or email, right? So we mm-hmm. named our company after the god of thunder and lightning, and our hope is to power the mobile commerce revolution. So when you look at our logo, you'll see a, a thunderbolt, and that's where right it comes on. from. Yeah. yeah, you need to when you say that it comes from Thor the God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great name. I love I love the name and I love the rationale behind it. Very very cool. So you've uh, you and Ethor and your team have evolved quite a bit since you first launched. Can you tell us about your evolution as a company? I know it's kind of a um, you know a, a long journey, um, yeah. but start with your payment solution and maybe get into 
how you're now into marketing and that sort of part. Okay. Well, we actually started back in 2003 and we were originally an online ordering company. So if a restaurant chain, Pita Pit, for example, is one of our customers, if they wanted to accept orders online and, and allow people to order their food online and have it delivered, they would hire us. And so the first version of that system would fax orders to the restaurant. Um, wow. still, still some some large uh, food ordering sites still fax orders today. Uh, but that was the first version of that system. And within the first six months of starting that consulting firm, it was just me and one other guy. Um, we found that most of our customers were asking us to hook it into their POS so that they, rather than having it print out on their fax machine, mm. the orders would go right into their system. Uh, because of that, we started doing integrations and we became one of the first companies in the world to start integrating e-commerce uh, websites in with in-store systems. And we got quite good at it and we developed this ability to do these integrations. And then around 2008, 2009, um, we started meeting with some of the largest restaurant brands in the world. Uh, I won't mention them because they're they're large, large restaurant brands that everybody sure. would notice. But you know, one of them, for example, uh, has seven different POS systems, and so they seven were seven because wow. they're a franchise system. Right. And different franchisees cho- chose different systems. And it was at that point in time that I realized if they're having this problem with online ordering, they must be having this problem with every facet of their organization because mm. all their reporting, um, all their business intelligence, analytics, accounting, all that stuff has to be pulled in from the franchisee into the main system. Mm-hmm. Um and so it, it was around 2010 that I decided to build a platform that we would utilize our our uh, our abilities with POS integration and build a platform around it. And you know, in the year or two before that, the iPhone had just come out uh, for the first time. Facebook and Yelp were getting popular, and I just started thinking, wow, if somebody could build a platform that could enable all these new emerging technologies to plug in to in-store commerce seamlessly, that's a pretty powerful thing. And mm-hmm. so we launched it in November 2013, so it was about 19 months ago. And we now have over 2,500 companies worldwide that have signed up for our system. And with the last two years, when really when you, uh, when you created this uh, multi-dimensional platform, multi-functional platform, is when you saw the exp- exponential growth or, or was it. there? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was definitely a major turning point for us. Uh, yeah. that, that pivot was a huge moment for our company because it was almost instant that people started signing up for it. And uh, we've never looked back since then. Uh, congratulations. It sounds like a, uh, well, it's, it's, it's not an overnight success. And I think this is a great reinforcement that, uh, that one, it takes time to really discover and go through the laboratory of your business, but then be aware that you might have to pivot and be okay with that. So yeah, it just sounds yep. uh, really super. So Ethor talks about empowering consumers to seek and find products online, but what, uh, but consume locals locally, sorry. So you, you empower consumers to seek and find products online, but consume locally. What does that mean to a restaurateur like myself? 
Well, I think what you'll find uh, these days is that a lot of people use their mobile devices to find something that they're looking for, whether it's finding a local business and then looking at ratings and reviews and things like that. Um, but they often want to get that product immediately. You know, obviously with a restaurant, mm. they need it immediately. But even beyond restaurants, if you go into retail, mm-hmm. you know, some people don't like going on to Amazon. And although Amazon's getting much better at delivering quickly, Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, they don't. And so a lot of consumers, you know, they don't like to go online, buy something, and then have it show up a week or two later. They want to be able to hold that product, touch right. it, and see it, right? And so what ends up happening a lot of the time is people use the web and mobile devices to find a specific product they're, that they're looking for online, find the store that has the right price, find uh, where that closest store is to them. And then rather than buying it online, they just go to the store and they buy it there because mm-hmm. they want that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And so we help facilitate that by connecting those mobile devices in with the in-store commerce. Because, you know, even with all the growth that we've seen in e-commerce since, you know, 1995, when we started seeing e-commerce websites come out, mm-hmm. still only 5% of transactions happen online. 95% of transactions still happen in in a physical bricks and mortar store. And so that marriage of online and offline is called online to offline commerce. And it's a $15 trillion market globally on an annual basis. So it's a massive opportunity and that's, that's what we're chasing. Do you think, do you find that, uh, and more curious than anything is that, uh, one of the other reasons that people want to buy local is because they want that human interaction or does that not play a yeah, role in that at all? That's it too. They, they sometimes want to ask questions. Right. Um, there's a variety of reasons why people do it, but you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that that's how people are shopping now. They do their research online. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen stats that, that suggest that 70% of the transactions people make they research online first and yeah. nine, 90 to 95 percent of those transactions still happen in a physical store wow. so, so again what that tells you is that people are looking online to find what they want at the price mm-hmm. they want where they want but then they're going to that store physically to buy it um so for me you know when i i, I one of the ways that i compete is i do it. I just engage through social media, through the um, uh, through the, the various forms as a business. Um, if if people are that engaged with social um, engagement in the beginning of trying to figure out what products they want to be, what's your kind of thought for where businesses need to go with that? Are they getting there, or, or is there something else that they need to do to really catch up to that to that engagement, to that research that customers are doing online? I think that a lot of businesses are very far behind eight ball and with respect to the things that they could be doing online. A lot of them are so busy just trying to run their business and a lot of them want to do it and they know that they should, but they sometimes find it hard to find the right, the, the time to do it. Mm. I think, I think what we're going to see over the coming call it maybe the next five years or maybe five to 10 years is we're going to see more and more integration between those social media websites and online and mobile entities and products. So recently saw Pinterest came out with a buy button. I think you're going to see more and more of that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's almost like the Uber effect where you're integrating the payment or the transaction into everyday life's 
everyday things that you do, whether it's social media or taking a cab with Uber or whatever it is, the transaction is often the most important part of what you're doing. And so I think what you'll see is a seamless integration of being able to transact with those other uh, destination websites or apps that people use to find Mm. things and to interact and a lesson to those companies that are not uh, making the investment of time, let alone money, into that that focus. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer they're going to be left behind. Like the, you know, they're they're still doing print ads in the newspaper. It's just Absolutely. not going to have them keep moving forward. You know, I uh, I I was on a plane once, sitting next to the head of mobile commerce for Walmart. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, Walmart is no longer a retailer. Walmart is now a technology company. And wow. that's how that's how they view themselves within Walmart is that they are now a technology company. And you see that they're now starting to um, compete with Amazon because and, and the advantage that they have over Amazon is that they have stores everywhere where you can buy something online or on mobile and pick it up or have it delivered from your local store. And that's yeah. something that Amazon doesn't have. They're trying to get more right. and more of those fulfillment centers, but you know they're a long ways behind Walmart in that respect. So mm. um, I think more and more companies are going that way, and the ones that don't are dinosaurs and will slowly die off. Yeah, it's just going to happen. It's it's yeah. not a matter of if; it's just a matter of when. I I, I mean, you would call that. I, I would think that would be a, a significant pivot for uh, Walmart to have done when they when they decided they weren't in the retail business anymore; they were in the uh, the technology business. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. You must have enjoyed that conversation. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, very cool. So um, I'm going to kind of switch gears a bit and talk about the whole startup world. Um, do you think we're nearing a point where there's a risk of oversaturation of startups and solutions? And if so, how do we balance this and make sure entrepreneurs build successful ventures? And particularly, this is an, an issue, uh, I think, in Canada, because uh, I recently saw some research that said that Canada ranks at least number one or number two in the world when it comes to encouraging startup. So uh, what's your thought on that oversaturation piece? I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any such thing as oversaturation when it comes to startups. I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of startups up there, out there. There's more and more every day, you know, here in Calgary, we have the, the oil and gas industry has had a bit of a downturn. And it's interesting because I talked to more and more people that were working in oil and gas until a few months ago when they got laid off. And now all of a sudden they want to start that startup that they've always mm. been dreaming of, but they never mm. had, had the, the guts to go do until now. Right. So right. I, th- I think that that drives innovation, that drives society forward. You see a lot of new great ideas come out. Um, you know, I remember, I remember when I was younger, when I was just starting out with Ethor, I remember sitting on MySpace one day and thinking, wow, <laughs> MySpace, you know, this, is, love it. this is such a great idea. I wish I had thought of it, but clearly I'm too late. My, MySpace had just got bought by, um, by Fox and, um, you know, they're, 
I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I wish I had come up with this idea and just sort of giving up on the idea of trying to come up with another one. Cause I thought, you know, nobody's going to compete with MySpace. <laughs> right. Right. And now we have Facebook and MySpace is <laughs> dead in the yeah, water. Right? Yeah, where is it? Yeah. I, I, th- I think history is probably littered with people who had a, the same thought that I did. Yes. Um, and I, I learned that a long time ago that, you know, the best ideas are still ahead of us. They're not behind us. Yes. And, yes. Um, if you want to be an entrepreneur, there's no better time than now to start something. I think there's an old saying: the only the only better time to start something than today was yesterday. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so. I th- yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that that whole uh, fabric of society, it's much more embraceive of uh, of entrepreneurship now, based on a necessity more than uh, more than anything else because of the changing landscape and the way the governments are handling things these days. So, yeah, uh, yeah to hear that uh, that point of oversaturation, I think it, where where maybe it comes from is is just it's the big buzzword now. It's the sex appeal. It's the thing that people want to talk about, and so therefore, oh my gosh, now everybody's talking about it. Therefore, it's oversaturated. I yeah, think I, so, but I mean, there's there's fluctuations in markets, right? Markets go up, markets go down. Yeah. Um, there's always opportunity to build something revolutionary that nobody's mm-hmm. done. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you look today within our society, some of the biggest opportunities are things that are very early stages, like uh, healthcare tech and mm-hmm. ed- educational technology and uh, fintech, which is the space that I'm in financial technology, you know, banks and people like that, those guys are going to be obsolete. You know, Mm -hmm. those banks are going to be replaced by mobile banks. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be people coming up with better ways to educate people, uh, both here in the, in the sort of Western world, but also in developing countries. Um, And so that access of information that you'll have in all these different industries will only accelerate more and more over time and you'll see more and more of our society being affected by technology. Well, and also the fact it's quite easy now to start a business, uh, not only from a technology perspective, but from a financial perspective. One of my businesses, I started when, with 3000 bucks, and, you know, uh, three years later, it was making a million in revenue. So, you know, there's all kinds of support systems in place to make it that uh, everybody can play in the game where before it was very, uh, very isolated to the, to the rich and powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you go down to Silicon Valley, you'll even see a shift there, right? If you go back to the late 90s, Silicon Valley was uh, Sunnyvale and Mountain View and Cupertino and all that stuff. And it still is today. But what you've seen now is if you go down there today, the, the companies that are in the Valley are big, massive companies that need a lot of space. It's Cisco, it's eBay, it's mm. Apple, it's Facebook, it's those big companies. But, but you actually see most of the startups have actually moved into the city. And really? the reason why the reason why is because they don't because of cloud computing. Mm-hmm. C- companies no longer need to start big server farms if they're going to start a company. They mm. can just have a small office space, and so you've seen a shift to the city. Yeah, very and, cool. And that's because it's getting cheaper and cheaper to do that. 
Yeah. Well, and also mobility ties into there. One of my great uh, thought processes with things that I'm doing going forward is to be able to work anywhere at any time. So yeah, uh, yeah bang on, man. Uh, finding a compelling and unique selling point is really the make or break of a new business. And uh, so in your opinion, how do entrepreneurs stand out in the growing landscape of startups, especially with the, uh, we just kind of talked about the short extension span of, of consumers. They don't want to wait. So how would you suggest suggest that a startup deal with that particular challenge? I think my answer to that would focus around one keyword, which is focus. Hmm. Um, you, you need to focus your product. You can't be everything to everybody. And if you try, it will be the death of your company. Um, because it's cheaper and faster to start a, an online business, there's a lot of them out there. And so I think the, the best thing you can do is pick one thing that you think you can do exceptionally well, that you can do better than anybody else, and try to narrow your focus as much as possible and provide that niche service that doesn't exist in the market. Because you know if you try to do too much, you're going to be overlapping with too many other people. If you mm-hmm. can find that one niche need that is currently underserviced, right on. Um, then you can focus on that and you can iterate and you can put it out there and you know get feedback from your customers and iterate and iterate and iterate and mm. until you've found that perfect product market fit. Right on. It's a. It's funny you say focus. My my word is zag, which means I <laughs> zag when everybody else zigs. Yeah. So it's a, It's the same sort of thing. Pick pick that one niche and make it very unique and take ownership of it. Very cool answer. So uh, a little bit back to Ethor again. Ethor uh, platforms are developer friendly. And what's the coolest app that you've actually seen built on top of your amazing platform? Well, unfortunately, I probably can't tell you that because we're under NDA with a lot of companies that work with us. But, um, okay, you know, your favorite working, that you can. <laughs> we're working with um, one company. Actually, it's uh, there's a company out of Sweden, um, and they're launching here in North America for the first time. And they're a public company on the Nasdaq in Sweden, and right. they're a mobile pay, a mobile payment company um, where you can pay for things with your phone. They're called Secure. Um, and secure did 3.1 billion mobile transactions in Europe last year. And it's, and it's all done through the bank. They don't touch credit cards at all. Mm. Uh, it's bank to bank transactions. Um, so that's pretty cool. You know, we've, we've got partnerships with some of the big credit card companies. Uh, we're doing a project with one of the top 10 banks in the world. Um, we're doing a project with one of what I would call perhaps the top brand in the world, if not one of the top three. Um, And so there's a lot of really neat things that we we get to work on. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have that pro that shiny object uh, Mm -hmm. complex where they always, Mm -hmm. they have all these different ideas and they like to chase them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the successful ones tend to focus, but Mm -hmm. I'm in the, the fortunate position where I get to do both, where I get to focus on my product, but I get to be part of, all these other products that people are building. And so I get to scratch that itch without having to chase them myself. (laughs) And it's a real itch, isn't it? The, uh, the the fact that you're always yeah, you love those shiny stars yeah they're the real itches and uh, it's uh, it's it's so important to keep focus on uh, on that thing that you're talking about let's kind of talk about the, glo- the 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 global business that you're into you found this company you're doing business with a company in Sweden so mm-hmm. how how did how are you finding discovering connecting with clients beyond the the borders of Canada. 
Uh, to be honest, they're finding us because nice. because of what we talked about a minute ago. We were we started out with this bloated product that tried to be everything to everybody, and we started focusing ourselves more and more and stripping more and more of our feature set away until we found that kernel of a product that we thought was going to be make us successful. Mm-hmm. And once we did that successfully, once we found that. Pr- perfect niche product people mm-hmm. came to us because there was actually a very pent up demand for what we were providing and there was nobody mm-hmm. else out there doing it nice. uh, now there are other competitors that have emerged since we launched but of course um but so we have um like i said in those 19 months since we launched we have over 2500 companies from i think over 30 countries you uh, you talk about the competition coming on and i i'm assuming that yeah you keep your eye in the back rear of your mirror but you still do not let the competition veer you away from where your vision is where your focus is is, is that a fair uh, fair comment absolutely i mean you you have to keep keep your eyes ahead, not behind you. Right. I mean, Mm. you, you always have to keep an eye on what your competitors are doing. You can't ignore them. That's for sure. In our case, I view us as the leader in our space. We were the first to launch, uh, from what I've seen where we have far more traction than any of our competitors do. We're, we're much further down the path. We have much larger, uh, more prominent clients. And so we're at this point, the leader. And as far as I'm concerned, our competitors are trying to catch us. Mm. So if we spend all our time trying to watch our competitors, we're not going to keep our eye on the road ahead of us. And so we're trying to be, but just can't catch us. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, just a little bit back again about Canada and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, you started out in Calgary and now you split your time between San Francisco uh, and Calgary. Um, not that uh, this is discouraging for you from making the move and what you're doing because you're obviously having great success with uh, your business. But why did you make the move to do the split between San Francisco and Calgary? Well, I, I mean, it's a debate that a lot of people have is, you know, do you need, need to move to the Valley? Do you need to spend significant time there? Different people have different views on that. In my opinion, um, although there's a lot of great startup communities that have come up all around the world, including Canada is one of the, the best that I've seen, um, Silicon Valley is still the tech mech of the world last I checked. Mm. And that's where a lot of the money is as far as VCs and investors. That's where a lot, in our case especially, that's where a lot of our customers are because we're selling to other technology companies that are building things on top of our platform. And so I spend uh, about half my time there and half my time in Calgary. Um, My team is largely in Calgary and I spend time here working with them, managing them, uh, making sure we're on point with our product development and serving our customers and all that sort of stuff. And then I spend a significant amount of time in Silicon Valley where I look for money or I meet with uh, customers or partners or whatever is needed at the time. Right and on. so um, for me, especially, I mean, it's a two and a half hour flight from Calgary mm. to Silicon Valley. You know, it's a, a short 
cheap, easy trip. You know, when I have the tech mech of the world on my doorstep, why not go there? Right. I, yeah, I know people yeah. from Israel or even, you know, people from out east in Canada that it's a much more difficult trip for them to get there than it is for me. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so that's why I go down there. I, I know yeah. people who will argue with me on that and say, well, you can, you can build a great technology company in Canada and you don't have to go anywhere. And that's true. I know some great companies that have built great, great uh, teams here in Canada. There's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of benefits to being here. Yes. Um, but I, I think it makes sense to be in both places personally. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer it's your business and lots of people can have advice on what to do with your business, but they're not necessarily going to be there when, uh, when, the, when the doors are closing. So you need to do what's best for your business. Uh, you're obviously a proud yeah. Canadian and you want to uh, support the Canadian marketplace as much as you can, but it's a global world as, as we all know. So just a, a 60 second answer. What do you, uh, what do you see for the value in keeping that Canadian connection? Well, there's great tech talent in Canada. Um, I, I, I saw something recently that ranked Calgary as the, one of the top five tech hubs in North America, believe it or not. So there's a lot nice. of great tech, tech talent here. A lot of people don't know that 1% of the Canadian population lives in Silicon Valley. Uh, there's wow. about 330 or 350,000 Canadians down there, which tells me that there's uh, a lot of tech talent that comes out of Canada that gets lured down down there because of money, uh, most likely, and maybe the weather a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, there's a lot of tech talent here. We have a highly educated population, and there's a lot of great advantages as far as grants, government grants like SHRED and IRAP and those types mm-hmm. of things as well that help help uh, from a funding perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you hire and build your team out in Canada, you don't necessarily have to compete with Google and Facebook to pay your people, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's a serious talent shortage down in Silicon Valley when it comes to tech. Um, those large companies are throwing a lot of money at a lot of people um, and it's tough for a startup to compete with that right so um, I, I think there's a lot of great talent here um, yep. it's cheaper to operate here and you can get some funding sources that you can't get down there as well um, and and why not build that that team here in Canada build jobs here in Canada and uh, be part of the Canadian scene so would, would you consider that to be Canada's USP <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, it's, it's, there's definitely uh, a focus on uh, being proud of the talent that we have right across the country. That's for sure. And we're coming up with uh, with pockets of uh, of niche talent along the way. So if it's talent, that's fantastic. Gary, it's uh, it's really, really been a, an honor to have you on the call. Uh, and uh, I cannot wish you anything but great luck as you continue your journey. Uh, one of the great things about this podcast is this is the first time Gary and I have met and I'm looking at his business model and I'm saying, I need to talk to this guy about what I'm doing with my <laughs> business. So so it, it's, it's, I think it's going to be time well spent for you on an hourly basis for the potential of the business we can bring you. So so uh, thank you very much, sir, for for taking the time and, uh, and being with us today. Um, that was Gary Ziegler, a Canadian-born entrepreneur making waves in the global weight list, uh, marketplace. You are listening to Startup Canada podcast show. Startup Canada is your doorway 
into Canada's entrepreneurship community. And be sure to check out the website startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular startup chats. It's hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. And for me, look, if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, I'll send you two ways. One to my personal website, uh, riverscorbett.ca, where I'm all about helping startup entrepreneurs begin their journey and have success in their journey. And then my other great joy is Relish Gourmet Burgers coming to a neighborhood near you at at relishlife.com. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Rivers Corbett and have an incredibly successful day.